This right. is an eight iron and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome the owner of the Dismal River Golf Club in Mullen, Nebraska, Joel Jacobs, to the Sub-70 Podcast. Uh, Joel, thank you for taking the time today to be with us. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, well, first off, I should probably announce to everybody who listens to this, at full disclosure, I am a member of the club. Um, I'm still shocked you let me in. I don't know how I got past the, the, the safety valve there, but I do appreciate it, so... Probably should let everyone know I'm a member as well. So it's, you know, I obviously love the place. So the, the, the podcast is probably going to reflect it. But um, uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me join this year, and I'm really looking forward to heading out there. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. I appreciate it. We we are uh, happy that you're with us. No worries. It's, uh, it's a heck of an experience. But uh, let's let's talk about the club itself so the listeners can get some context about the club because – it's doubtful a lot of people have been to Mullen, Nebraska. So, and it's and it's different than what a lot of people think about Nebraska. If you're driving down Route 80 through the state, which looks, you know, very much like Illinois or Iowa with cornfields as you go into that route. So, no one better to probably answer this than you. Of what makes Mullen special? Why does it look different as you get to that region uh, of the Sandhills and sort of describe the topography and land? Yeah, it's uh the Sandhills of Nebraska is kind of the uh it's kind of the last frontier in the United States. It's it's one of the largest deposits of actual sand um in the world and it's just it's a beautiful remote area with big big rolling hills, um native grasses and um it's just a place where you can really escape and get away away from the rest of the world. Yeah, it has like an out west feel, right? It does it, it feels more Right vibe of wyoming montana even though you're in nebraska to me it feels like you're out west i don't i'm assuming you feel the same way absolutely it's it's definitely um not what you see when you're just driving down i-80 it is a different part of nebraska that um i think everybody in uh, america would enjoy if they if they adventured up north into the northwestern uh, panhandle your family's been out in the mullen area for for generations can you can you talk about your family history and ties to that area and, and how many generations uh, of your family have have called that place home, essentially? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's it's essentially my great-great-great-grandfather um, um, and, and his family were the original settlers of uh, ranch land out there in the Sandhills. And um, my family on my grandmother's side um, has been, you know, ranching and and been out there just huffing it in the hills for now, you know, you know, hundred plus years. Um, it's a, uh, it's a place that's close to my heart. You know, I went to high school there. Um, I was raised there with my siblings, my, my, my two brothers and my sister. And so I have a, a pretty deep, deep passion for uh, the people um, in uh, the Mullen area, um, in Hooker County, Nebraska. And uh, it's a place that, Pretty, it lies pretty close to the heart. Mullen is small, but it's still the county seat. Uh, I looked on Wikipedia, 459 people. What was it like growing up in a town, you know, that small in that area? And, and looking back, what do you 
what did you most appreciate about your childhood and in, in growing up in that part of the country? You know, growing up out in Mullen, it was a place, as I can reflect back on it, it was a place where um, everybody is family, community is like family, people come together to to do things, um, to do projects, to do com- community improvements. Um, they support each other when they need each other. Um, my, you know, uh, with my own family, my parents, it was something where, um, now looking back, I know how hard it is, uh, as a parent, as a, as a father to manage your time and to have relationships with your kids. And in a place like Mullen in the Sandhills of Nebraska, it's a place where you can have real relationships and, the bond I was able to build with my, my parents and my, my siblings and my grandparents is something that is very close to me. And it's, I know it's something that's harder to do than ever um, because of the way we're all living our lives today in the fast-paced world. So it's something that I think that uh, just I can't ever let go of that, and I want to instill that into my kids you know, and their kids and their kids um, as much as I possibly can. I know uh, growing up you played a lot of sports in that area. You won a uh, high school football championship on an eight-man football, which they play in the smaller towns out there, then went on to play football at the University of Nebraska and Kearney, and that led to an NFL career. So my question is, how was that experience playing football at the absolute highest level? And uh, <laughs> is there any good uh, Tom Brady stories you have from being on the Patriots? <laughs> I've got a lot of really good stories. I can tell you that. We might not have enough time for that, but yeah, it was a it was an incredible experience. Just kind of uh, grinding it out, you know, from uh, from Mullen eight man um, going to UNK playing tight end. I actually played quarterback in high school in Mullen, and um, and I went to UNK and learned a lot about the the game of football because it's eleven man and. Once uh, I had some success there at tight end, um, the opportunity did come to me to get assigned with the the, the Rams and then bounce around and uh, um, stick with the the, the Patriots um, off and on for a couple of years. So it was a great experience. It taught me a lot about the world and and life, and I was able to meet meet, actually meet my wife in Boston, and so that was a great great experience. I did have a I actually was with Tom Brady's uh, backup at the time, Matt Castle, yeah. who became the starter for a while when I actually met my wife in Boston. And, and he was, uh, and I was downtown Boston, and, and, and Matt was actually kind of vying for my wife's attention before <laughs> me. And, and I, I joke a lot about it with my wife today because, you know, my Matt Castle went on and signed about, you know, $25 million of contracts, and I, you know, within that next couple of years. And I told her that, uh, she might have picked the wrong one, but she uh, she disagrees with me. So it all it all worked out in the end for her, right? It all worked out great. Yeah, moved back to Omaha, and now we have a, a nice family. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that too. So once once the NFL career was over, you go back to Omaha and, and you, you start working in the financial industry. Sort of, what was your pathway to to, to lead to to that line of work, and and what do you sort of do in that arena? Sure. So um, right out of uh, when I was done with football, I was uh, I'd been injured against the Giants in 2005, and um, you know after six to 12 months of rehab and realizing it wasn't going to be the path that I took anymore, um, you know I, I decided to refocus all my energies into a space um, that I was very interested in. That was the investing space, and so I just took all of that extra you know um, competitiveness and passion and put it into 
um, the financial industry, and um, uh, it was very intriguing to me, and I was able to get myself in a position to get into uh, a practice and learn from some guys with some gray hair, and I uh, moved up the moved up the ranks pretty quick with that, and eventually spun off um, into a partnership with some guys um, from Kansas City uh, with Quantum Financial Partners. Um, those guys were actually the financial arm of my NFL agency. So we had a good fit and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good experience. And I, uh, I also at the same time realized that I was very entrepreneurial and um, that's where I started to open my eyes to other business opportunities outside of the financial industry. And that leads us to Dismal River. Obviously you're, you're now the Correct. owner of that. And now we kind of got the pathway of, of, of how we're talking about the golf club, but, uh, for the listeners, what's the history of the club? You know, who started it, and and how has it changed uh, from the time you guys took ownership? From you know maybe the original concept of the club, right? So originally, so you know, my history um, just being very close to um, the Sand Hills area, um, the Sand Hills Golf Course, and Dismal River. Both I've I've known all the uh, the owners, the 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 leaders, the the different people and all the, the politics that have, side, have been part of that culture. And, and so the whole, you know, Mullen community is, is very tied into the golf world. And, and so, um, you know, as 2004 or five came around, I actually had an opportunity to meet with uh, a gentleman named uh, Dick Burtness and um, spent some time getting to know him. And he was kind of the driver, the original driver, behind the, the team that was building out Dismal River at the time. And I was really, uh, it was when I had been with the Rams, I was really engaged and excited for what they were doing. Um, I knew that their biggest challenge was going to be engaging the community. And um, and that was something I expressed to that team at the time and, and just keeping everybody together and kind of holistic. And so um, I've always been close to both clubs and, and I've I've been very on top of uh, watching. I was on top of watching what Dismal River was doing along the way. And so, I've, you know, as they opened in 2006, the Jack Nicklaus course, um, the course is absolutely amazing, championship-style club. Um, um, you know, it, it moved along, and um, they got a nice membership base. Um, and it changed uh, after 2008 and 2009. Um, it had changed um, hands uh, one time from the original group. And um, at that time, the, the, the next group that came in had brought the, the, uh, the designer Tom Doak into play and built that course out. And I think that was a, an incredible move at the time in 2013. Um, Tom Doak is a world-renowned golf designer, as you know, and um, he, he's a perfect complement to Jack Nicklaus. And to be able to have a course like Nicholas's on um, in the Sandhills and and of course like Tom Doak's side by side, um, I think you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting you know uh, more narrow fairways, more you know it's it's a much more much longer, more challenging course um, on the white course, which is the Nicholas course, and then the the Doak course is a is a polar opposite course. It's a polar opposite experience where. The, the fairways are wide. The undulations are much bigger. There are infinity greens on the back, back nines. Um, it's much more organic and built in. Um, the tee boxes, you roll up on the tee boxes. 
Um, it's just a really fun experience. So when you're looking for that fun, um, laid-back experience, you go play the, the red course, which is the dog, and you want that more challenging, you know, that battle, um, that, that's where you go up and you play the white course um, uh, at Dismal. So. Yeah, and I'm a, a golf course architect geek. Like, and, and I think what works on that at, at Dismal River is exactly what you're saying is they did not, you know, between Doak and Nicholas, the courses are not the same, even though they're in the same piece of property. Um, right. Uh, you know, I kind of describe uh, the Nicholas golf course is a little bit of Metallica coming at you, right? There's some, some, it's harder, it's a little mm-hmm. more rugged, it's a little tougher. And then the Doak is like a symphony. It just kind of flows with everything. And I love how both courses have their own character. And I think that's what really makes the 36 holes work there because you're not kind of playing 36 holes of the same thing. And the architecture is definitely different. And their take on how they were going to do the architecture is different. Do, do you get, I, I personally prefer the white golf course, um, I, I just I love you know that, I, I do you get back and it, forth of who likes what more? Absolutely, and you know a lot of the original members are kind of partial to the white course, um, and a lot of the newer membership is partial to the red course, the dope course. And I can tell you though, the longer that everybody, it, it's truly fifty fifty. And I can you know initially the people that like the white course better are the ten handicaps are better. And the people who like the red course are, are 10 handicaps or worse. You know, it just, it plays into their own game as well, you know, which is interesting. But I personally like the red course um, up, up front initially, just like that. And as I, I spent more time, you know, that, that was right after it was built. But as I spent more time, you know, just, I just le- learned to really, I really love the Nicholas course as well. I mean, just, I would just say Every other day, I play the other one and have the same same feeling about which one's better. Hey everyone, it's Jason from the Sub Seventy Podcast. I want to let you know about a few new products coming in that we are very excited about. We will soon have our Sub Seventy Six Thirty Nine MB Forged Iron. This is the Tour Blade. Two different versions. They'll be the traditional smaller size that the better player wants. We will also have a MB Plus model, which is still going to be a blade, but a little bit larger. So a little bit more forgiveness, a little bit more offset, maybe for the mid or mid-low handicap player who wants the feel of a forged iron and that trajectory control, but just a little bit more forgiveness in it. Uh, those should be coming around the corner along with our new 839D driver. That's getting very close to release as well. A uh, bunch of new stuff coming down the pipeline, so thanks for all the support. It's been a blast working with all of you guys and, and doing custom fittings and making sure that when we build these for you, they're built just for you, and we can do the quality product that we're doing at a lot better price because we are eliminating the middleman on it. It's just directly from us to you, the consumer. So any questions, reach out, let us know, or feel free to go to golfsub70.com, and if there's anything else we can do to help you, we'd be glad to do so. Enjoy the rest of the podcast with Joel. I'll never understand from, you know, I'm lucky enough in the industry that I'm in, I get to play, you know, some of the best golf courses in the world. And how the white golf course is not in a top 50 rating is beyond my comprehension. It, I, I know when it first opened, everyone said it played really hard and they, it was a little bit more severe, but, you know, it's been mellowed out to the point where I think it's like a perfect balance now. Does, does the Raiders ever come back out there again uh, to kind of relook at it? Because I think for that golf course not to be 
you know, where the red is ranked is, I, I don't understand it. And, and like I said, I get to play a lot of the best golf in the world. And it's, uh, it's amazing to me how that is not getting its due and how it's, how good that track truly is at this point. You're 100% right. And I actually get a number of Raiders that come through um, the doors at Dismal that are saying that this course deserves to be right there at the top. Um, the, the, all 18 holes, you know, we will occasionally talk about a signature hole here or there, but what, without a doubt, what everybody will tell me, and it's, I think it's consistent throughout, is that every, every single one of those holes are signature holes. I mean, they're, they're, they're so unique and every, every one is different in its own way. And they all, they all, uh, you know, balance each other out. So I, I would just say that, you know, I, I truly think that that course, um, you know, it's kind of a, a hidden gem and it's something that, um, I, I truly believe it, it's today. It's a better course and it's a better experience than it ever has been just because the dope course is there, you know, now I think they help each other out. They make each other better because when you come out, you truly have, you know, you have a place that's very remote in the part of the country in the middle of Western Nebraska, but now you have a place that's remote, but you have options when you get out there. If you're having a, a bad golf day, you're going to go play the red. If you're, you know, but when you go play the white now, you can truly appreciate what it is for even as, as challenging as it is as a championship style course. Yeah, and you know they say the red is a little bit easier, but I'll still say those last four or five finishing holes, you got to golf your ball, right? I mean that thing finishes <laughs> tough, and it, yeah, the front nine kind of warms you up a little bit, but it's not like eighteen holes of just pushovers. I mean, with the wind and the elements, and that course is very exposed. And those last four or five, if you got a round going, man, those finishing holes on the red architecturally, uh, Tom Doak did just a fantastic job of of challenging the golfer on the way in i think I, that those last four or five are just brilliant i i i can't agree more the the finishing it's even the finishing six holes i mean just the whole layout and the way you you finish it out it's, it's amazing we had a a panelist from the golf digest came out and they you know they they flat out said even in the, the january article the, the magazine that it's arguably the best finishing holes in the whole world and that, i thought that was a big statement obviously i'm biased but it's nice to start to see some of these guys out there, these writers, start to say some of the same things that we're thinking. So I've always tried to describe to people, if you haven't gone and experienced, you know, Dismal River or playing Sand Hills in that region, you know, where it's that remote and you're playing, you know, Lynx golf, true Lynx golf, where you can bounce the ball and the, the golf changes every day based on the weather and wind and conditions. What, what do most of the, the members and the people the guests who come out there to play, how do you put it into words? Because I've tried to describe it to people, and it's hard. You're, you're kind of like you got to almost just see it to believe it and play it, and then you kind of just feel it in your soul, and there's no other place like that. And I think everyone I've ever brought out to that area or we played golf in the area kind of leaves with like, yeah, I'm coming back. I've never experienced anything like that anywhere in the world except here. Is that a is that sort of a, a fair statement that you kind of get back from people on holy, holy blank? I, I realized it was great, but I didn't realize it's the color architecture, it's the people, it's the land, it's the whole experience that I've never experienced anything else like that playing golf around the world. Absolutely. And that's a consistent theme throughout um, 
you know, the product and the experience is so authentic. It makes it, I mean, just, it makes it a really special place. And what I always will tell anybody who's never been there, I said, you just do not know until you go, you know, <laughs> and it's, I'll tell them before they go and then they get there and they look at me and they just got a big old smile on their face and they say, you know, you're right, Joel. <laughs> and and so I can't agree with you more. It's a consistent, um, it's consistent throughout when we get people in, from all over the, the country, it's just it's refreshing to, and it's a nice reminder that we're doing something really special at Dismal River Club. Is there any changes to the white course coming this year? That um, I know that it kind of gets tweaked a little bit of maybe some tee boxes stuff like that. Is there anything coming in on the Nicholas course that you guys are just going to make a, a a little tweak here or there for the season? Yeah, so we actually, you know, we've uh, reengaged the Nicholas uh, Design Group. Uh, uh, Chris Cochran is one of the uh, one of Jack Nichols's closest guys um, and consultants on the design side, he came out and went back through each hole with me, uh, hole by hole, and um, we went through. And we've he, he kind of came back to us with the master plan that uh, you kind of back to the original design. Some elements that may have been tweaked that need to be brought back, and then there's some shaping issues with just naturally naturally over over 12 years of just you know, blowing wind and native grasses and sand, the course can kind of change. So we've came in and uh, we've uh, reshaped uh, uh, number 15. We've brought, we've knocked down um, one of the hills on the bunkers to make it uh, play the way it's supposed to on a number, on a par three. We brought back the championship tee box on number seven, which is an incredible view down the hole uh, for the long hitters. And we've, uh, uh, we, we moved number, we, we grabbed number 18, the back tee, and put that back in place. There's always been a championship tee on number 18, but we actually added the uh, the, the back tee as well that was supposed to always be part of that initial layout. So um, other than some of those uh, basic things, we've got, we, we, we got rid of a couple of tee boxes that uh, were added over the last three to five years that really we don't believe came into play with the, the design element of uh, what Nicholas was looking for. So um, it, overall, just it's those little tweaks along the way over the next, between now and the next three years. Plus we are just doing some uh, um, minor reshaping of all the bunkers. Cause you know, there's 300 plus bunkers on the white course and with lots of wind every day, those things, you know, those things change. And so, we go back to those priority bunkers that are really coming to play on the golf course. And we're making sure that those fall in line with the, the way that they're supposed to play, you know, with the, the Nicholas design. So those are, that's a, that's a project that we'll be continually working on between now and the next probably three to four years. So with the size of both the properties, uh, the maintenance staff, that must be uh, a pretty good sized group you have to have. You have to have a great leader, you know, to get to the conditions you guys wanted. So, you know, how many, how many people do you have to have to sort of maintain it at the level you guys want? And um, it's a big responsibility from the, the superintendent out there. Um, can, can you comment like what this is. takes to do it at this level that you guys are doing it at? Right. So, you know, we're, we're uh, a full year round operation now and we go from, you know, our golf seasons from May through October 31st. And, and during that, uh, that, that summer fall season, we're running about 60 people. And, you know, a lot of people wear a lot of different hats. And because of our offerings, um, 
we you know we have outdoor activities we've got other recreational things right that we have going on out there um like hunting shooting um you know family recreation spa and so what we've been able to do in those different departments is take some of the other staff and pair it back over to the golf course as needed so we're always running about you know 20 to 24 on the courses and then we fill in um with some of the other um departments you know that as needed on a on a week over week basis we'll pull some of our outside services people our pga interns you know on the sunday monday tuesday uh to help get the course prepped you know or rework it from the the busy weekend uh so it's it's an ongoing challenge and i tell you what we just keep getting better and better at it which is it's a lot of fun how do you see the club changing in the next, say, five to ten years where it's not just a golf club anymore like you already described, where there's other activities, there's other, you know, great things about that area besides just the golf? How do you see the, the club evolving? Right. It's really, uh, it, it, it kind of goes back to the experience of what you just mentioned here a few minutes ago about the experience of just stepping on the property. You know, there's so many reasons to be out there. It's almost therapeutic. And so, um, there's all these people that would love to be out there and it's a place to build real relationships, whether you are a golfer or not. So what we've done is we've built on, you know, the property and added these other elements that kind of that tap into, um, you know, women and families and couples. And, um, you know, I think it's just going to be a place where you can truly get away from the world and build really, really good relationships with the people you care most about and do things like play world-class golf, go shoot, you know, learn how to shoot guns. Um, you know, you, you can do upland bird hunting. There's big game opportunities. We have a full spa that we have. Uh, we actually are opening this weekend, going into our opening golf weekend. Um, and then we have family recreation. We've got kayaking and fishing. And so those things have really uh, got a lot of legs because, you know, there's a lot of people that will golf, but their spouse or their kids, they may not like to golf, but they want to go travel and do something together. So it's really paired out well for us over the last two years as we've added those things. And then the accommodations, um, the view, uh, where they built the clubhouse is another one that you can't, you can't describe it until you sit out there with a drink at night of the vastness and the beauty of that essentially valley overlooking the red golf course. The accommodations are world-class. The view is, I have to look at it the first thing when I get out of the car and go see it. It's the last thing I look at when I leave because it's it's that amazing. How tough is it to, because you know, you're in such a remote area, but yet the service, the dinner experience, which is just world class, how do you bring that experience of that level into such a remote area and still pull it off like that? Like that must be challenging as well. I mean, it's sort of with the, with, the members expect, but you guys do it, you know, it's effortless. It seems like and the, the food, the experience, the lodging, the whole nine yards on top of it being beautiful views, you know, to keep that world-class experience there. Um, that must be rewarding and challenging at the same time, I guess is what I'm asking. It, it absolutely is challenging, but it's really um, constantly communicating to the team um, where we're going, what the vision is and, and um, everybody out there, um, believes in what they're doing. They 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 love the product. They love the experience, and they love to see um, the people that come in and how excited they are to be there. And that that kind of fuels them too, you know. And as um, 
you know, on our org chart, what one of the things that I've done is I, I, I put members and guest experience at the very top, no matter what. And so with that is just it, it, in its simplest form, all of the team just makes an initiative to make sure that they're doing their best for the, the members and the guests. And I think that just attitude and effort are the two things that people can control. And if you make sure you're reminding your team that all the time, you know, it may, it makes it easy, you know, um, it, it helps with the whole experience because we have an incredible product and we don't have to oversell it. We just have to take care of the people that come out to see us. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, you know, overstate, you know, because I'm a member out there of how stunning it is. But like you said, you've thought that view out back. I mean, I've, I've never experienced anything like that to sit out there and, you know, take it in for an evening. It's, it's truly incredible. Let's talk about your famous neighbor down the street of the Sandhills Golf Club. I, I got to play there in 2007, and it changed the way I thought about golf. I always thought, you know, Parkland-style golf course, Medina, Butler is the best golf in the world until I went out there for the first time and played it and just fell in love with the area. Right. It's it's an unbelievable golf course and, and, a, and, you know, a piece of property as well. How is the relationship between Sandhills and Dismal, you know, at this juncture and you know, from 10,000 feet, can you sort of describe the differences between both clubs? Sure. You know, um, I have, I've been around, you know, I've, like I said, I've, I grew up in Mullen. I, I, I was out there at Sandhills Golf Course um, before the greens were there. I saw the sticks in the ground, you know, and the native grasses before they put the greens in. So I knew a lot of those guys from the very beginning and, and a lot of the original members. And I, I actually was a guy on the front end that was one of the very first caddies in the caddy, the local caddy program at Sandhills golf course. And so I, I, I know the culture, I know the people, and I tell you that, you know, from the early nineties, you know, the golf world has changed to the mid two thousands, you know, 2010, 2015. Mm-hmm. It's, Culturally, you know, when when Sandhills came into play, you had a lot of early baby boomers as, as founding members, right? And so, fast forward 15, 16 years to when Dismal River opens, you've got some of those guys, but it's usually it's it's the next generation of baby boomers. Um, and so, you know, and and over that time, Sandhills built a great uh, rapport with uh, the golf community and the golf world. And uh, Dismal River came in, you know, years after. And um, and it's and, and, and laid an incredible foot footprint. But I and I would tell you that this, the main difference is just the generational difference between um, you know the early '90s to today. You know, because uh, Dick Youngscap he's still leading the charge at Sandhills Golf Club, and he's a great guy. And he was uh, he pushed um, the doors open at Sandhills and 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 made way for what it is. He's still there, and um, and that's just Today we're 2018, and um, you've got a whole other generation of people, of uh, families, and 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 so you just have. We our offerings are completely different, but our relationship is good. We both tie. We both uh, feed off the same small community of Mullen, Nebraska. You know, we have uh, common employees, common staff. We help each other out on the golf course piece, you know, uh, Katie talks to their guy, Kyle over at the golf course. Um, she, he talks to her. And so they, you know, we communicate back and forth. We're able to uh, help each other out uh, when we need it, depending on what the needs are. So it's definitely, um, in the last two years become something that, uh, it's pretty special. 
and I think it'll continue to just keep getting better and better. We have Sandhills members coming over to, to Dismal River, and we've got Dismal River members going over to Sandhills. So um, I can't, you know, they do only have 18 holes, and we've got 36, and we have a little bit more lodging. So I'd tell you that we, we, we probably service a few more people, and, and um, but just generally speaking, it's, it's really good, and um, the community really has taken well to everything. Any chance we'll ever see a third golf course at Dismal? Um, I, I would. I can't say yes. I can tell you that. But uh, there has been, um, you know, over the, the last, you know, ten years, there's been a handful of uh, really well-known designers and influential golf people in the world that have uh, engaged Dismal River and and, and myself about um, the idea of adding another eighteen. Um, but I would tell you that. In my mind, I just want to get our current projects, you know, our, our our cabins, our additional lodging, and some of the different experiences throughout the 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 membership experience, you know, up to up to snuff by the end of next year. And at that point, I'll feel really. And we're there. It's just you know adding some other elements in the fall and winter. And once we get through that in this year, um, I'll be definitely comfortable with entertaining uh, the idea of an additional 18 but there's no promises so i hear you um we talked about this a little bit earlier as well that there's no signature holes and i agree with that that they're all unique on themselves but if you had to pick one or two holes from the red or one or two from the the white that are just your personal favorites is there is there two on each golf course that stand out that you enjoy the most when you play them yeah so i i absolutely love uh number 18 on the red course, the finishing hole on number 18 is just incredible. It's, I know it sounds kind of funny, but it's almost a spiritual experience as you're, you're teeing off from the tips back there and you're looking back up the valley. Um, it's just an incredible hole. And, um, I'm also a big fan of number six on the red, which is a, it's a short par four. It's kind of one of our photographic pictures. Um, the green is drivable. Um, really unique just kind of a tight little uh par four where you, you if you, you're going to go long you better you, if you're going to hit the green you're going to hit it at 300 but and most people try it but very few succeed so it's a it's a beautiful hole and then on uh on number on the on the white course i would tell you that that uh number four is an incredible par four that i just love it's got a, an old cow rub in the middle of the fairway and a windmill down by the green. And, you know, it's very photographic, but the hole plays out really well with the bunkers all along the left side of the fairway. And it's, it's just, a, it's a neat hole. I, I think a lot of people appreciate that hole because it seems so authentic into the, into the, you know, hills as well. And, uh, um, what else on the, on the Nicholas course, I can't, I can't go wrong with number 18. Yeah. It's that just the finishing hole on 18. Yeah. Yeah. On the top, that's just such a great tee ball. Like the like, it just feels right for that golf course, just of the dramatics of this. So for the listeners, this huge upper area that you go way up in the air, and it's a par five, and you can just pound a drive down there. But the second shot's not easy. There's a little risk reward. Like it's such a well thought out par five, in my opinion. It is. It's beautiful. It's just a great. It's a great hole. If anyone is interested in experiencing, you know, Dismal River, it is a private club, but is there a, a way or a, 
uh, a system that you guys use to have potential members come in, you know, if they haven't been out there before, visit the club and, and contact somebody? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so where we're at today is, you know, we've we've opened up the doors in the in the fall and winter, and we're adding additional lodging. So I would tell you that um, we are pretty much at capacity right now on a membership, but we are um, opening it up to add additional membership between you know now and the next 36 months as we continue to finish out our cabins that we're building, and we're building a series of cabins, and um, that will kind of expand our capacity on a week-over-week basis. So um, if somebody is interested um, in potentially coming out and having the opportunity to look at membership and engaging the club, um, they're more than welcome to reach out to Beth, who is uh, our member experience manager at Dismal River Club, and it's her, her email is beth at dismalriver.com. Well, thank you so much, um, you know, for coming on the, the podcast to talk about, uh, which I think is one of the greatest clubs in the world. I'm beyond proud to be a member there. Can't wait to get out there a bunch this season. And uh, it's just always such an interesting conversation about the architecture and the, the history of it, the land, the the whole nine yards. It's uh, it's something to behold, that's for sure. So thanks for taking you know, the time today, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot, Jason. I appreciate the, the call and look forward to seeing you this summer.